Yes, guys, it's me, Jack. And me, Stevie. And right this second, you are plugged in and listening to, I'm going to say it, one of my favourite interviews ever. I think it was incredible. We just spent an hour and a half with Michael Francis, who is a former mafia mobster crime boss. Can you remember his job role? He was... Capo regime. He was a capo. <laughs> I've heard that in the. In it's like captain. Hey, you're a capo, man. He's just one of the coolest guys we've ever met. We spoke about how he became a mobster, how he got sworn into a life of crime. We spoke about how he was making up to ten million dollars a week by essentially frauding the government. And of course, we spoke about his time in prison and whether or not he's whacked anyone. So all of the mobster questions get asked today to Michael Francis. And let me tell you, I was blown away by just how honest that man is. Yeah, he even told us what the animal he could beat up in a fight is. <laughs> so. so we do ask all the hard-hitting questions. <laughs> he, at first, I thought he was a very, very scary, intimidating guy. But by the end of it, we were even discussing topics such as religion, um, prison, God, death, mortality, and all the things that are very close to his heart. So, yeah, this could... And I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this or not, but this could be a happy hour classic. I think you'll enjoy it. You will enjoy it. Or else. We'll get you whacked by the mob. <laughs> it's probably offensive. <laughs> Jack makes happy hour. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your afternoon playlist, State Farm knows you personalize your entire day. And that's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with the State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello, guys, and welcome back to Jack Mate's Happy Hour podcast. In the swing of it now, aren't we, Series 9? Yeah, quite a few episodes. It's been quite a few, and we've had some incredible guests so far. But today, I'm a little bit nervous, Stevie. Why are you nervous? I'm a little bit nervous because I've been doing some research on this man. And he has been described as a former mob, mob boss, once described by Forbes as the 18th wealthiest mobster in the world. And since then, he's turned into a super successful author and motivational speaker. And you know I'm scared by authors. <laughs> is that the idea? <laughs> yeah. It's Michael Francis. How are you, mate? I'm good. Are you nervous? I am now you've said that, yeah. Well, be on your best behaviour. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, mate? How are you? Good. Where, good. Where, where, good. So where, where are you from? Why are you in England? I'm in England to do another tour. Um, we start March 15th. We're doing about uh, 11 or 12 cities. And I'm excited about it because I was here in 2022. And uh, the people were just great. Wherever we went, in every city, Ireland and, and uh, Scotland and all throughout uh, England, the people were wonderful. I love it. And uh, so we decided to come back. We're excited about it. And we're going to be in a bunch of cities, mm. Manchester, uh, Bristol, London, 
And what were you talk, else. talking about? Your life and and, and the about mob? my life. Few things that have happened in the past year and a half that haven't been mentioned yet, but we're going to be talking about that. Just the life, the mafia in general. Everybody has these different ideas of what the life is really all about, but now they're going to hear the truth. So I've had an idea, Stevie. Go on. Let's spin this off. Just leave it, and we'll just come and watch Michael next month, shall we? I'm I'm keen on that. <laughs> just save. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> save us a job. You were from, you you lived in Bristol for a while. Didn't I lived you? in Bristol for eight years. So let's go to that show. Can we come and see you in Bristol? Absolutely, you'll be my guest. Oh, perfect, perfect. Now, Michael, before we get into you and your life and everything that you've done, we always ask the same question to all of our guests, the same opening question. I want you to imagine a place called the Happy Hour Hall of Fame. You can submit an item into this Hall of Fame, something that means something to you. It can be a place, a person, a feeling, a thing. What would you like to put in the Happy Hour Hall of Fame? Well, you may not know this, but I'm in the wine business, so I would like to put a bottle of Franzese wine in the Happy Hour. It would be the best Happy Hour anybody ever had. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Red, white, or all types? It's all types. Yeah, real excited about it, and um, we've been in business for about a year and a half, almost two years, doing quite well. Mm -hmm. We'll be bringing it to the UK uh, shortly, so uh, Frenzy Swine, happy hour, what more can you like? Perfect. I'm not, I'll I'll be honest, I've I've never really, I'm, I'm quite immature. Right, so I've never really got round to wine yet. Well, you're going to start now. <laughs> well, now you're telling me. I, I, I definitely <laughs> drink it all. Yeah. Are you a wine guy? We've tried it before. I uh-huh. struggle to know the difference between a cheap wine and an expensive wine. You know what? You, you're not. In, that's a great point because I I'm okay, right? Financially, I would not buy a two thousand dollar bottle of wine. I wouldn't buy a five hundred dollar bottle of wine mm-hmm. normally. Because it's very subjective, and the taste between a thirty-dollar good bottle of wine and five hundred is not that different. That's what we. That's what we figured. Hundred percent. Yeah. Me. We because we, we. It was a Christmas episode, and we have another co-host, Robbie mm-hmm. Knox, who's a little bit older than us, forty-five, and he's a big wine connoisseur. And he, we did a blind wine taste test mm-hmm. where we had to try and guess, and we and we, we couldn't do it. You can't. No. You know, and really, when you're buying a bottle that expensive, it's about the image, the story behind it. You know, hey, I like to have a $2,000 bottle on my table. Uh, it's not necessary. Mm. The wines are not that far apart. Right. You know, really. Perfect. Now, I, yeah, that's going in, isn't it? We yeah. can confirm. We'll that put the going, wine in. That's going yeah. in the Happy Hour Hall yeah, of right. Fame um, because we decide whether or not it goes in, but you're, you're, you're a mob guy, so it's, it's, it's going in. It's going in, Michael. Now, before we get into your life, we're going to hit you with some quick fire-ish Get to know questions okay. to get to know the man behind the mob. Stevie, kick us off. What's a bizarre hobby that you have that people might not know about? Oh, gosh. You know, hobby or habit? Either or. Either or. Whatever you want, sir. <laughs> I, I, am a, I am a clean freak, you know. I, uh, my mother was crazy cleaning woman, 3 o'clock in the morning, come into our bedroom with the vacuum and cleaned, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it's therapy for her with wow. my dad doing all this time in prison. Uh, but I'm pretty much the same way. I can't see dishes in the sink. And, you know, you leave a glass on the table, I pick it up and wash it. I mean, it's just, uh, yeah. Are you hoovering at 3 in the morning? Uh, I wouldn't go that far. No, <laughs> right. no, I kind of calmed down a little bit in my old yeah. age. But, yeah, I'm, I'm a cleanliness guy. Okay, okay. Fiona, am I a clean feet, a freak? Okay, great. Michael, what's the biggest animal you think you could beat in a fight with your bare hands? Biggest animal? It would have to be a kangaroo. I'm fascinated by kangaroos. Just came back from Australia. Didn't see one. I was disappointed, but uh, I would love to take one on. That's a bold choice, though, because they're... 
they literally punch, don't they? Well, we want to be competitive. Right? <laughs> you want to somebody's going to fight back. Right? I'd pick a cow or something. Something that no, could. I wanna, I you wanna couldn't fight. beat up a cow. Do you reckon I could beat a cow? I think so. He says I can. Yeah, so I can. Okay, in that case, no, we can. You're right. Because <laughs> they, don't, they don't fight back. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you push them over, they can't yeah. get up, can they? No. No, they lay down when it's going to rain, don't they? I yes. don't know. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Yes. They, they lay on their backs and go, it's going to piss down. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> go on, Stevie, next one. What's one quote that stands out or means something to you? You know, it's a Bible quote, uh, and it's from Proverbs, book of Proverbs, 16.7. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord... Even his enemies are at peace with him. And it's been something that had a real impact on me when back in the, the bad days of my life. Mm. Um, Can you repeat that? What is that? So I, I didn't quite catch it. When a, it's Proverbs 16, 7. Right. Proverbs is a brilliant book, you know, quotes in there. But uh, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, right. even his enemies are at peace with him. Okay. When you walk away from Cosa Nostra Mafia, you're going to have some enemies. Yeah. So, you know, that was a, a very impactful verse, and it's uh, turned out to be true in my life. So I like it. Yeah. I like it. Very profound. Who is your hero? My hero? You know, there again, it's a faith thing for me, um, and it's uh, Jesus Christ is my hero, um, as, long, as well as my Savior. And, you know, there's a lot of people that I admire mm. um, in life, but I, I wouldn't call them my hero. Growing up, my dad was my hero. Right, right. Uh, but other than that, you know. Love it. Love it. Okay, now this is where, because Michael's hit us with some very profound answers so far, right? He's a very cultured and cool man, is Michael Francis. We might have to lower the tone a little bit now it's and okay. explain to you what this red button is here. Stevie, can you do it? So you may see this little ball machine behind Jack and I here. Mm-hmm. We've been, every single one of those balls inside that machine has a question from a previous guest that's been in this studio. Could be a comedian, a footballer, an actor. Jack and I don't know any of the questions. So we've done it a couple of times now with uh, recent guests. And, and sometimes we're, we're left a little bit embarrassed by some of the questions. But okay. would you risk pressing our ball and seeing what questions? Absolutely. Let's, let's see if it works. I'm a risk taker. <laughs> okay. Okay, we've got a question. Let's have a look. This could literally be anything, Michael. Okay. Are we going to let Michael read it or should I read it? <laughs> I think we let Michael read it. Oh, I'm nervous. It's not us. It's not us. It's not us. Okay, there we go. Pass right. it over. There we go, sir. So the guests should have written their name as well. Yeah. So if oh, you that's good. Yeah, yeah. We, bad one. I can track them down. <laughs> Would you? I'm have nervous a... for them. <laughs> Let's have a little look. They should have signed it off at the end with who it who it is. Yeah. Who 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 is it? It's from Neil Ramazaldi. Who? Stunt stunt guy or something. Oh, Neve. Neve, Neve, Neve. So, oh, she was oh, only, she was on, only on last week. She's a football content creator. She's, oh. she's great. It should be a normal question. Okay, you know what? You're going to have to read this. Okay. Do you believe in manifestation? Yes. Okay. Oh, that's actually quite a it's nice good, question to get for yeah, you. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Do you believe in manifestation? I don't. <laughs> okay. That's simple. <laughs> okay. Right. Cheers for the question, Neve. <laughs> Okay, all of that, all of that. We're going to let you in behind the curtain. The ball machine didn't work. That took about five minutes to get that ball machine. And we got, I don't. Oh, good. Worth good. it. Worth right. it. Michael, this is about you and your life. Now, where did you, where did you grow up? I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, probably a little differently than most people. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, about my dad, and I don't know if you do, but he was a, uh, a major figure. He was the underboss. 
in one of the five New York Mafia Cosa Nostra families, Colombo family. So I kind of grew up in an atmosphere. My dad was very high profile, always under investigation, always going on trial, always being arrested. So um, I grew up in that kind of atmosphere. My dad was my hero. I loved him and I hated the police. Right. Hated government, hated law enforcement. I grew up hating them because they were always harassing my dad, harassing my family, at least mm -hmm. in my view. Mm -hmm. So I kind of grew up in that atmosphere. What were you like as a kid? Um, I was a sports guy, loved sports, you know, big Yankee fan, you know, big football fan. What's your, uh, who do you support NFL wise? Uh, NFL, Jets. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's not okay now. No. <laughs> I haven't won in 30 years, but you know. My no, knowledge is, is pretty poor. I'm just going, okay, I'm pretending I know. Yeah. Okay, you're a Jets fan. Right, yeah. I got you. Big Jet fan, big Yankee fan, <laughs> yeah. baseball. Um, you know, so I was fairly normal as a kid, you know, fairly good student, but uh, athlete. Mm -hmm. uh, but I had a little different situation because my dad was so high profile, you know, and sometimes... Hey, your dad's a mafia dad. I'd have to fight in the schoolyard, stuff like that. But, um, you know, otherwise pretty normal. Is a mafia dad a famous dad? Is that fair to say? Well, not all of them, but my dad, I'm sure you heard of John Gotti. Mm -hmm. Okay. My dad was kind of like the John Gotti of his day in terms of media attention, law enforcement investigations. So he was very high profile in that regard. So, did, so how, how did your peers treat you when you were at school? You know, some good, mm -hmm. you know, um, some thought it was cool and others made cracks and remarks that I didn't like. So, you know, I had to deal with it both ways. But, um, you know, I, I held my own as a kid. <laughs> You've got a very menacing look on your face when you say that. When you say I had to deal with it, how do you, how, how, how do, you deal with it? <laughs> well, you know, if you're insulting my dad, you're going to, mm. we're going to fight, you know. So, I mean, I had fights over yeah. it. Uh, you know, some of the older kids sometimes would, would make remarks. Right. Um, and you go to battle, you know. But other than that, it was okay. Go to battle. Yeah. Wow, you're a cool guy. <laughs> <laughs> I would, if that was me, someone was insulting my family, I'd go, please don't. You'd, no, you'd probably go, yeah, you're probably right, actually. Yeah. My mum is like that. <laughs> we ask everyone this question, Michael. Um, we're not asking, it's not directly just to you because you're a mafia boss, right. but what's the naughtiest thing you ever did at school? At school? Yeah, you can imagine we've had a whole array of different answers to this. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this could the be naughtiest thing. thing. He's had someone whack. <laughs> at school? <laughs> Denied it. I'm trying to think. You know, the, I, I think the worst thing I did, and this is vivid in my mind, it was a cold day in, um, in New York, and we actually had, it had rained a couple of days before, and there was a sheet of ice, like, uh, in the schoolyard, mm -hmm. you know? And I was walking on the ice with someone, and that person made a bad remark, and I pushed him, and he fell through the ice. And he was actually almost drowning. <laughs> I had to go and grab him out. Lock me up for murder. You know, I'm 11 years old. You know, but uh, yeah, that was that was. I got in a lot of trouble for that. But, Did you? Yeah, I tried to lie and say I didn't do it, but about 100 people saw me, so it was kind of rough. Well, on the yeah. other on the other hand, you saved their life as well, didn't you? I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you're a hero. I was a hero. I've got. I've got to say, I didn't view it that way. But accidental oh. attempted murder is yeah, um, yeah. potentially the worst naughtiest thing we've had so far. A lot of other people. Just say I skipped school one day. Yeah, didn't go to a lesson. Yeah, but they're YouTubers. Yeah, they've done nothing <laughs> in their life. Right, Michael, your Twitter bio, and forgive me for my terrible pronunciation of this, says former Kappa regime. You got it. Yeah. Did I? Kappa regime. Yeah, yeah. Wow. As a matter of fact, that's very good because nobody gets that right. That's not Italian. 
That, oh. doesn't, that was really good. I'm smart as fuck. Former cap <laughs> regime of the New York Colombo crime family. What does this mean? A cap regime is an official position, and it's actually translated to captain. It's captain in a family. And you're appointed by the boss, and you have a number of soldiers underneath you because soldiers are also... They're the lowest level, but that's an official position. When you get made, and I think you know what that term is. No, but that was our next question, actually. Okay. What, what makes a made man? You take the oath, you know, after you prove yourself worthy to become part of that life. Uh, and that's a, another process you got to go through. Uh, you prove yourself worthy. You take an oath. You get made. You become a soldier. And then the next level up is cap regime or captain, mm-hmm. where you're appointed a number of soldiers underneath you. And so I reached that level. And then after that, you have uh, the boss, the underboss, and the consigliere. How do you take an oath? Because am I right in thinking you took a blood oath? It is a blood oath, yes. Well, I'm, I'm, what? Is that like when you cut your hand and shake cut your hands? Finger. Cut, cut your finger. And blood drops on the floor. And then they take a picture of a saint and put it in your hands and light it. Lit a flame. And you take an oath as the uh, saint is burning in your hands. Wow. It doesn't hurt. It's merely symbolic. It would hurt me. The cut would hurt, <laughs> would hurt your me. thumb. A little bit. Yeah, I mean, you feel it, but my, they wanted you to. My, they wanted you to. Yeah. My sister's a type 1 diabetic, so she has to constantly prick her finger. Yeah. A tiny little prick. I can't do that. Really? It hurts me. Yeah. I get it. You think I'm pathetic, don't you? <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. You wouldn't be a mob guy, then. <laughs> All God. of the info we know about like the mob and everything mm. is obviously from films and TV. Yeah. And I've just finished watching Tulsa King which yeah. is with Sylvester with Stallone. Stallone. Yeah. And he said he's a capo in that. He just kept saying capo, but I didn't know what it meant until now. Cool word. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know there was a full term. Well, this yeah. is the thing. I'll, I'll be completely honest. I, um, when I was researching you, I was surprised, and I don't mean this to be disrespectful, but I was surprised that like the mafia and the mob is like a genuine official thing. And what I mean by that is I thought if you were like a, a bit of a cool sort of gangster, you're walking around, you're in the mob. I didn't, I, mm. I didn't think there was an official, like, you're sworn in, like it's a hierarchy, it's an actual yeah. it's an actual club. I thought if I wore a suit and whacked people, I could be <laughs> in the mob. But you have to, you actually well. have to, do you, is, it, is it always blood related or do you have, can you get in, an invite? Well, you can't just go up to somebody and say, hey, I'd like to join, you know, you can't do that. <laughs> somebody has to uh, propose you, vouch for you, say this person has what it takes to become a member. Okay. And that's the first step. And then you have to go through a process and prove yourself worthy to become a member. You know, they don't just appoint you. And there's a lot of nepotism in that life because Mm -hmm. it's all about security. Hey, if I bring my son, my cousin, you know, into the life, I'm pretty sure they're never going to become a witness or testify or become an informant. So there's a lot of nepotism. A lot of fathers propose their sons uh, if they feel their son is qualified to become part of the life because it's... It's a tough life. Yeah, I bet. Um, and no, it's a it's an organization that uh, has been around for a couple of hundred years. You know, mm. obviously first started in Italy, mm. and then a lot of the guys migrated to the United States mm. uh, when Mussolini was after the mob. They he wanted to stamp it out in Italy, so a lot of guys came to America, and that's how it grew in America. Right. And it's uh, listen, mafia Cosa Nostra, as it's called in America survived and prospered for well over 100 years um, under some very difficult conditions. But you got to understand, we had major control in that country. I mean, we had, uh, you know, influence right into the White House. 
You know, we controlled all the unions in the country. We had political connections, you know. So we, we had a tremendous influence uh, on society in America for a long time. I genuinely just thought this was all in the movies. No, no. Wow. It's, it's real. So let's say, let's say we're, we're a bit younger. Let's say we're, we're 15, we're up and coming, and we know you. And we go, Michael, we really want to be in the mob, right? You take one look at us, you think, these guys have got it. They can, because you are thinking that deep down. And how do you, do you then go to, no, no reply. Do you just go, do you go to your bosses and say, I've got two new recruits that are coming in and then they have to vote on it. Is there, a, is it like X factor? No, no, no. What would happen is, well, first of all, I'd have to make sure that you are qualified. So you'd be through my own testing period. What tests so are you speak. giving us then? Just to see how you handle yourself on the street. You know, I say, hey, this guy owes me some money. He don't want to pay. Go take care of him. Bring me the money. Right. So let's, let's do it. So you owe the money. Right? <clears throat> okay. And I'm trying to impress Michael. So I go up to you and I go, can I can I be in there even if I'm just like Norfolk? Like I'm from Norwich. Like, or do I? No. Oh. Your father What's has the... to be Italian. All right. Let's pretend my dad's Italian. Don't do I'm, an accent. I'm, no, yeah. I'm not going to do the accent. <laughs> I can't do the accent. But um, hi. Um, Hello. My friend over here, Michael, you owe him some money, mate. No, I don't. Yes, you do. And I would quite like that money back. No. He said no. <laughs> You're out. <laughs> Next film. <laughs> no, but if, if, being serious just for a second. If you, if you find someone, you think they're perfect, they prove it, they pass the tests, you take it to the, the hierarchy. If one person in that hierarchy says, no, they can't, they can't come in, are they not in, or can you over... Interesting that you asked that. Here would be the process. Right. A perfect example, myself. My father proposes me to, you know, the family, saying, mm -hmm. I want this guy made, my son. So when my dad did that, we were in uh, Leavenworth Penitentiary. We are in the visiting room because he was doing time. Mm -hmm. And um, I go and meet the boss, okay? And the boss says to me, your dad says you want to be a member of our life. Is that true? I said, yes. Here's the deal. From now on, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you're on call to serve this family, Colombo family. That means if your mother is sick and dying and you're at her bedside, we call you to service. You leave your mother's side. You come and serve us. From now on, we're number one in your life before anything and everything. When and if we feel you deserve this privilege, this honor to become a member, we'll let you know. Wow. Wow. And then from that moment on, you're at their beck and call of their service 24-7. Wow. So how long was it between your dad recommending you to join to you actually becoming a maid? Two and a half years. Oh, wow. So it's a long process as well. Well, it was actually a short process for me because they had an expression in our life at that time that the books were closed, meaning that from the 1950s right through the mid-70s, they weren't bringing any new guys into the family. It was security reasons. Mm. And that was all five families in New York. There were five families in New York. Nobody was made. The only time you can bring a guy in is if somebody died in the family, you could replace them. But that was it. In the mid-70s, they opened the books, and they were bringing new guys in. So there were guys waiting 20 years to become a member when I got in. They were waiting 20 years. And did you get kind of fast-tracked because of who your father was? I got fast-tracked, yeah. yeah because, I mean, I still had to prove myself, Yeah. but they put me in front because my dad was doing a 50-year prison sentence, and he needed me to help him get out of jail. So um, they pushed me kind of towards the front. And yeah, that's what happened. When you say family, do you, do you mean family in, in its actual term? Or, or is, a, is a crime family a, a different 
No, we, we called ourselves a family. Okay. It wasn't an organization. It wasn't a club. It was, it was a family. But we don't, we don't all need the same surname or the same blood? No. Right. Okay. And then so the five crime families, right. are, you, are you kind of, are you rivals or are you? No. You're no. not? You're friendly rivals. Right. Meaning that you didn't go to war with one another. Okay. You know, that stopped back in the 30s and the 40s. Right. But you didn't go to war with each other, but there was competition. Mm. But anytime you had a dispute, you solved it amicably among the families. Whenever there was violence or a war, it was a civil war within the family and usually for power. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, I'm learning so much, aren't you? I'm, I'm learning to start. Yeah. Are there, if, if you say, for example, or someone who's in the mob has a sibling, as a brother, let's say, who's not cut out for that life. Like I had. Oh, did you really? Yeah, my older brother, yeah. Did he try and become mate? No. My older brother didn't even want to get a traffic ticket. He didn't want to have nothing to do with any crime or anything like that. He was totally on the other side. Oh, really? Yeah. But then isn't that, isn't that a worry then? Because then if, if he's excluded from the crime family, isn't there a chance that he will then rat on the, on the family? No, because he doesn't know anything. He wasn't brought into anything. So he's just living a legitimate life like you two guys. And he's assume, just, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and he's yeah. just not aware of the things you're doing. Yeah, he, he wouldn't be brought into the, you know, the inner circle of things. So he wouldn't know. Was he jealous of you getting in there or...? My older brother, no. He was—he just did his own thing. You know? Yeah, and that was it. The only problem with my older brother is he was married five times, <laughs> right. and, he had, and he had kids with every one of them. My father used to get mad because he says, "You got to pay all this alimony. Stop having kids and wives." <laughs> <laughs> my father's way of thinking. But uh, no, he was—he uh, didn't care. He didn't want anything to do with it. He wanted to be outside of it. Is—is is, would your father? then treat you and him exactly the same, even though you're in the crime family and he's not in the crime family? Well, as far as loving us as his sons, yeah. Yeah. But obviously I had a stronger, intimate relationship with my father because we shared things that we didn't share with anybody else. Right. You know, so, um, yeah. And my older brother didn't care. My younger brother, my younger brother, unfortunately had a very severe drug problem and he was a street kid. If he didn't have a drug problem, he would have ended up alongside of me on the street, but he had a drug problem. You can't bring somebody with a drug problem into that life. They'll get killed. Yeah. You know, you can't handle yourself right. Uh, but he got himself in and out of trouble too because of his drug habit. Michael, what are some mob stereotypes that are true to life? That are true? Mm. Well, I mean, some of the things like you see in the movies, um, you know, the, I mean, the way guys carry themselves. So I'll tell you what's not true, um, which might be easier. You know, uh, everybody thinks that when you come into that life, people start handing you money and you become a millionaire. Absolutely not true. It's just the opposite. You have to prove yourself. You have to make your own way and you have to pay up to the family. You have to help support the family. Right. You know, it's not the other way it's around. It's like a member's fee, is it? Yeah. Yeah. You go to jail. Oh, don't worry. Everybody's going to take care of you. Not so. You're on your own. You go to jail. I mean, really? that's it. Oh, yeah. You know, they, everybody thinks they're going to, that the family has a, you know, a war chest and they take care of everybody when they get in trouble. Not true at all. So what are the benefits here then? Because I'm, you're putting me off the mob, if anything. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> I don't want you to join. Yeah, it's the whole idea. <laughs> is that is that still the case if they're quite high up? Like you said, uh, with your dad, he was an underboss, did you say? He was the underboss. Yeah, so when he went to prison, would they have still taken care of him? 
My dad had, you know, some business on the street that lasted for two and a half to three years. When that money ran out, that was done. Nobody gave him anything. One of the reasons why I got on the street, I had helped support my family, my mother and my, my brothers and sisters. So, yeah, I mean, and that's a fallacy. Everybody thinks, oh, you're all taken care of. Well, not so. Oh, wow. The, the idea is it's, it's uh, ask not what your country can do for you, but rather what you can do for your country. You know, John yeah. F. Kennedy said that. Yeah. Same with the mob. We're not doing anything for you. You're doing it for us. You know, you got to make your own way. When you're the boss, you might get a little better treatment because people are still paying up to you. Mm. You know, yeah. because as a cop regime, I had to pay up to my boss. So the fact that he went to prison doesn't change that. If he's still the boss, I still got to be paying up. And, and what you what you paying him for protection? No, because uh, if you're doing illegal business on the street, yeah. then the family is entitled to something, right? And that goes to the boss. So when I was doing business on the street, I would pay up and take care of my boss. As a result of that, that's just how it goes. Can, can, can we ask what the illegal business was? Sure. I mean, I had, uh, I was Shylocking, loan sharking, you know what that means? Kind of. Okay. <laughs> Lending money out at usurious rates. Okay. You know, you can't go to a bank, you need money, there's a beautiful room, you want to make it better, I can't go to a bank, I have bad credit. So you come to me, right? I mm. say, okay, I'll give you what you need, you're going to pay me 1%, 2%, 5% a week, whatever I right. decide to charge you and you say you can pay. So Stevie wants some, some new teeth. Like me. No problem. He comes yeah. to you <laughs> and your security there. So, so I need 10 grand. Yeah. yeah. So so you give him 10 grand? Yeah. First of all, I trust you. I think you're going to pay me back. I'll give you the 10. I would. Yeah, I'll give you 10 grand, but I'm going to charge you 3% a week. So you're going to pay me every week. You're going to pay me on a Monday. Not Tuesday, Monday. If you don't come pay me on Monday, I come looking for you. So you're going to pay me. What if it's a bank holiday? He's at a barbecue. There's no bank holidays <laughs> in the mob. No, no holidays. He's at a barbecue. <laughs> Maybe Easter Sunday or Christmas Day, but right. other than that, no holidays. You pay the day it's due. Is if he pays you like you lend him ten, he you want thirteen back? Let's say um, yeah, work. If if it's <laughs> <laughs> the coolest work. guy ever. If 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 he pays you that thirteen, are the mob a little bit twisted in terms of they might be like you keep paying us now or. Or, or are they like, we're gentlemen, we said 13, we leave on 13. Yeah, once you pay, you're dead, you paid. And like, I could give you the 10 and say, take as long as you want. Just keep paying me to 3% or whatever I charge you. You could keep it for a year if you want. I don't care. Two years. Oh, but he has to pay you just- As long as you're paying the juice. We call it juice. Pay the juice every week, keep the money. And what if I can't afford it one week? Go, go out and rob a bank, go <laughs> ask your uncle to borrow money, do something. So I'd essentially have to do the things. You have to. What if I've, I've tried everything- don't have the money. You lost well, the finger. You skip town, you know, you, you, you get a new identity, you do something like that. You know, you got to pay. Your yeah. money on the street, you got to pay it one way or the other. I mean, I, look, I don't want to be, some guys say, hey, you'd be here Monday or Tuesday, you're in the hospital. You know, a guy like me would say, okay, I'll give you a break, take an extra couple of days or whatever, but you got to pay me. Mm. You're not going to beat me. Mm. Can't get beat on the street because it's bad for your image. Number one, yeah, and number two, you just don't want that to happen. This is a completely different life, isn't it? If so, I lend someone a tenner, they don't pay me. I go fair enough. I'll get it one day. And that's it. I should start chopping fingers, shouldn't I? Well, you don't have to get that drastic, <laughs> but uh, that qualifies. We, we were talking a bit there about mob stereotypes. I've, I've heard you answer this question before, but for our listeners who perhaps haven't, um, have you ever put a horse's head in someone's bed? <laughs> no. 
<laughs> no horse's head. That was a very good tactic, though. I saw it in The Godfather. It was great. But no, we've never done that. What intimidation tactics would you use? Would there be anything like that? We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. One plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You know, um, kangaroo head for you, maybe? <laughs> I like kangaroos, no. He can't uh, find them. Yeah. He went to Australia and didn't see any. Not one kangaroo. <laughs> and I was looking for that. That is too. mad. We went out in the country. We were going to a, a winery. And yeah. It was all open fields and, and forests. And I said, there's got to be a kangaroo, not one. Go see. Yeah. Mm. I like to see him running around, though. But anyway. Um, Where were we? Horse's we'll, we'll head. Horse's head. Oh, no. You know... When you're part of that life mm-hmm. and people know it, that in itself is intimidating. Right. You know, if I walked into a room, you know, there's times I had to maybe collect a debt for somebody or convince somebody to do something. The fact that I was there mm-hmm. and they knew what I represent and what could happen to them if they didn't do what we asked them to do. Yeah. That normally is enough. Right. Normally is enough. Right. Uh, especially with a legitimate person. Mm-hmm. I don't want to mess with this guy, you know. Okay, I'll take care of it. Yeah. Now, sometimes when another street guy, he had to get a little bit more drastic, you know, because they would test you a little bit more. But um, just your just your presence was enough. Yeah. Yeah. Normally, I'll, give, I'll tell you a little bit of background about me, Michael. Um, a couple of years ago, I, I made a name for myself on YouTube because a lot of YouTubers over here in the UK they were ripping their audience off. Mm-hmm. They were charging sixty pounds, seventy pound a T-shirt. So I made a few videos about them and called them out for their mm-hmm. behaviour. And when I go to YouTube events, they look at me the same way I think people looked at you on the street. You made your bones. Am I a made a man? Different way, huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> So, Michael, what was your what was your big crime? Because you you did go to prison. You end up I in did, prison. Yeah. So, what what was the big crime? Well, the biggest business enterprise scam, whatever you want to call it, that I uh, that I engineered mm. was the uh, in a wholesale gasoline business. Right. Make a very long story short and a very intricate scheme uh, short. I devised a scheme along with a partner who was very intelligent um, to defraud the government out of tax on every gallon of petrol, you call it, gasoline. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ran that operation for about almost eight years, ended up going to prison for it but because my partner became an informant. Uh, but at the height of our operation, we were selling a half a billion gallons of gas a month, taking down American, U.S., uh, 20, 30, 40 cents a gallon. So um, we were bringing in seven, eight, nine million dollars a week at one point in time. And and you and your you and your partner in crime de- developed this concept, this scheme. Yeah. Well, let's put it this way: there were other people that were trying to do it, and there was Russian people that were doing it, and mm. they were doing it, but nobody mastered it the way we did. 
because we had many of them coming to us to, to buy from us and use our licenses. So there were a few people into it, but we were the big ones. Right. You know, we were the, whatever your biggest department store is here, we were that. Gerald's. Yeah. Snorch. Yeah. So where, so that money that you're getting is, are you having to pay some of that up to the yes. family? Yes. And then with the licenses, how does that work? So you need official licenses yes. to be able to do it. Yes. But yeah, you're not yeah. official. Well, you, well, when you say official, it was state licenses that you had to get. And um, I had 18 companies that were licensed to collect the tax. And I had political connections that helped me get the license, and I was paying them. So, um, and they were very hard to get, very hard to get. That's one of the reasons why we had, we were the premier guys in town on that, because we had so many licenses. Right. And a license, under our mechanism, our scheme, was able to collect this tax for about 10 months until the government came down on us because we weren't paying them, obviously. But what ha would happen, we had an office a little different than this. Um, and when that 10 months came and they came down with guns blasting, we'd close that office. Nobody would be there. We moved on to the next office with the next license that was unrelated to the first one. So it was kind of a daisy chain. We just kept moving around the city with different licenses and they couldn't connect. I'm known by my audience to be a bit, a little bit slow, a little bit thick, a bit mm -hmm. stupid. He sees it. Yeah, he's got it. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't even, yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> so can you dumb it down for me a bit, Michael? How are you getting the money? So you're going into gasoline stations and you're telling the people who work there that they need to pay you for the gasoline. Well, a variation of that. We go into a gas station. Yeah. I send a salesperson or myself, maybe in the very beginning. It's a mobile state. You have mobile here, British Petroleum. You got BP. Yeah. Okay. Yep. BP station, they have their signs up there, yep. brand everything. I go into them and say, How much are you paying for your gas? They say, We're paying a dollar ten a gallon. Okay. How would you like to pay a dollar a gallon? Ten cents is a lot. Yeah. Because you're doing volume, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'd love to do that. Uh, how many loads are you buying from BP? We're buying six. Okay. Buy four from them, buy two from us. We'll send it to you in the middle of the night, right? Before you know it, now they're making that extra 10 cents a gallon, which is a lot. They're coming back. Hey, can we buy, you know, uh, four from you and two from BP? I said, well, you can't do that. You still have to buy from British Bureau. We didn't have to force them because mm. we would give them the bill of sale. We say all taxes included. That's it. That's all they cared about. So if somebody came to them, hey, I paid the tax. That's right, it. Right, right. You know, and then that's how they eventually, the government would come to us. But we'd get 10 months out of that before they, you know, government moves slow. I don't know, quick. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we didn't force anybody. Yeah. And then the other thing that happened, you would love us if we were here now, because if we were collecting 40 cents that we weren't paying the government, we lowered the price at the pumps. So that we would give some back to the, you know, the consumer. Yeah. So they were paying less at the gas stations that we were supplying. So they were happy. We, they called us the Robin Hoods of the, you know, later on when the publicity came yeah, out. That's, we were Robin Hood. That sounds like And then the yeah. other thing is, listen to this. We were buying gas off of BP, Mobile, Shell Oil, all the big ones. We were buying barges as they came over from the Middle East. Yeah. You know, and sometimes you trade them, you know, as the boat's coming over, you're selling it because gas prices are fluctuate. And uh, when the FBI, our you know, Federal Bureau of Investigation, went to Mobile and BP and said, hey, you're dealing with the mafia. We don't know how they're doing it, but they're doing it. 
Well, they didn't care because we were buying so much gas off of them. They would go, oh, yeah, if we find out, we'll let you know and get out of here. You know? <laughs> yeah. So even though we were selling to their stations, we were buying off of them. We were increasing volume. So they didn't care. It was the greatest scheme ever. Ever since the days of prohibition, there was nothing better than the gas business. I can tell you that right yeah. now. Yeah. That's up there with like me scamming on Habbo, isn't it? No. Because who are you hurting? You're not hurting yeah. anybody. The government, you know, the tax, what do they do with the tax? Just the government, They yeah. may as well flush it down the toilet. They waste all the money. I don't know how they do it here. Yeah. But in America, they waste 90% of the money that we're paying. It's just a fact. It's not great here. No. Really. Yeah. So, you know, so we're, we're not hurting anybody. It's actually a really sexy scam, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? It's cool. Like any, everyone sort of benefits by the, the government. government. That is good. Oh, should we start? Should we do that? Now? I don't think we could. Do you reckon we could do that? No. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you've been mentioning, sometimes we say mob and sometimes we say mafia. Is there a difference between the two of those, well, or is it know, just look? The mob could be anything. Could be you know, but they call it the mob. But it's really you know, organized crime would be the sophisticated uh, moniker you'd put on it. Uh, but the actual organization is either mafia, cosa nostra, one of the two. Right. You mentioned um, you were earning seven, eight, nine million dollars a month, a week. A week. A week. Oh, fucking hell! <laughs> wow. Um, Don't diminish my deal. <laughs> <laughs> what? What does? Is it? Is that cash? Some cash, yeah. What does that look like? What does a million dollars in cash look like? Well, a million dollars is not that much, but it's quite a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, I was asked in the last, you know, podcast, he said, how much money did you see at one time? What was the most money you've seen at one time? Great question, actually. I might put it down. And it was about $50 million. In cash? Cold, hard cash? What does that look like? Yeah. Is that it- looked like a lot because <laughs> they were, we were collecting it off a of gas station. So there were fives and tens and twenties. So it was a bulky sum. My, when I first met my wife, this poor young girl had no clue what she was getting into. We're married 38 years now, but I used to come home. She didn't know. I was, I was in the gas business. I, you know, I had automobile dealerships. I was in the fil- film business. Oh, you didn't tell her that you're in the, you, you can't, you're not allowed to tell her you're in the... Well, I didn't say, honey, just want you to know I'm a criminal and a thief, you know, (laughs) in case you want to make a decision about me. No, (laughs) you never, you never tell your girls anything. Uh, I mean, they, they get to know as time goes on, but you don't sit down and tell them, right? (laughs) And she's from Anaheim, California. I'm from New York. She, she saw the Godfather once. That was it. Yeah. Even though the mob existed, right? (laughs) So I used to come home with a bunch of cash and. I said, man, I got all these fives and tens, and I used to throw them on a bed. I said, give these to your brother and your sister and everything. I can't. I have no place to put these. And she would look at me like, oh, okay. She had no clue why, you know. And she didn't ask questions? Well, she did. I used to say, honey, I got a lot of money, you know, but we don't need the fives and tens. I got plenty of fifties <laughs> and hundreds, you know. And so I gave it to her, and she didn't really, you know, she didn't know what it was for. Yeah. I didn't tell her, hey, I'm stealing the money from the government, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I didn't do that. So she, you know, she just felt it was part of my business. Right. And when I say throw money, I gave it to her and I mm. said, listen, you know, take care of your brothers and your sisters and your family. Yeah. And it was just a nice gesture, you know. Um, have you ever seen, have you ever seen Breaking Bad? I love that series. You know, this, you know, this, the scene when the, all the money stacked up in the garage and yeah. the guy jumps in it and swims in it. Did you ever swim in money? No. <laughs> no. Is that kind of what that. it looked like when you saw the 50 mil? Yeah, I mean, it was we had to stack it up, and yeah. As a matter of fact, there was there was a time when we used to take it to the bank, and the money would smell of gasoline, and so it was kind of like 
where's this money coming from? So we devised a scheme. I don't know. I remember how I found out, but I had to buy a refrigerator and put the money in the refrigerator with baking soda or baking powder, and that would take the smell out. So when we brought it to the bank, they wouldn't ask questions, you know. So these are complicated things when you have a lot of money and you have to figure mm. out how to wash it, you know, yeah. launder it. Well, what, what, what is that then? What is dirty money? What is clean money? And how do you wash money? Well, dirty money is money that's illegal. You know, it's illegitimate. You're robbing it, stealing it, defrauding, whatever. Mm -hmm. And washing money is putting money into a legitimate business so that you can take it out and it's cleaned up. It's legitimate. You're laundering it. And the mafia would do that? Yeah. You know, restaurants, because you take a lot of cash. Well, back then you did. You know, mm. there's a lot of cash you went through a restaurant. So you'd put the cash in and then take it out, and mm. it was legitimate. You're not in the in the in the mob life anymore, but but would how would that work now in terms of there not being as much cash money? It's, it's, it's all ATMs and stuff. Is it harder to to sort of fraud? Well, when we started selling, when the the laws changed in the system mm -hmm. and we were doing a lot more wire transfers than we were cash because there was a point when the tax was collected at the gas station level. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of cash that came out of the stations. Then when you became, uh, you became a wholesaler, then there were a lot of wire transfers. So we had to devise a sophisticated method to have the money go through a lot of accounts and then end up probably in a foreign bank or in a bank that, you know, they couldn't. It's like President Biden says now, you know, follow the money trail. When you, you're making the money trail so complicated, it takes them a while to catch up on it. Right. And that's what we were doing back then. What you notice I said Biden, right? Yeah. You don't happen to be a liberal, do you? No. We don't know anything about American politics. Good. I'm okay. just I'm just saying whatever answer you want to hear. <laughs> All right. I'll be completely okay. honest about that. Okay. Biden good, Biden bad. Bad. Biden bad. I've always said that. <laughs> always said that. All right, we can uh, continue now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's the what's the uh, most expensive thing you bought with all this money because you weren't born into money necessarily were you no i mean we weren't poor right but my dad was okay mm -hmm. you know we were middle class okay mm -hmm. uh so the most expensive thing i bought was a jet plane we had a lear 25a where do you, where are you keeping that you can't just park that out on the street can you no, we, we kept it in a private airport, but I got special treatment because we were serving jet, we were selling jet fuel to all the airports. <laughs> Just leave the fuel for a minute, Mark. <laughs> all the jet fuel, so we had the hangar space for free. Wow. There was a time, I'll tell you how good we had it. Um, my young girl who was going to be my wife was in Florida, and I was dying to get back to her. I was in New York on business. We had a terrible snowstorm, horrible. So I called up my pilot. I said, I got to get to Florida. He said, Mike, it's snowing. I said, can we get out of the airport? He said, if you can get the plows to plow the runway, he said, I'll get us out there. So I called up the airport. I said, get out the plows, plow that runway. I'm leaving in three hours. And they did it. <laughs> and uh, we followed the plows right out. And boom, I was in sunshine, you know, two hours later. They said, the plows haven't got any fuel. You went, I've got the fuel. Yeah, no, we're, <laughs> we got fuel that. was never a problem. Never a problem. <laughs> so what, was, what else are you buying then? What, what kind of other extravagant stuff? You know, I was never big on jewelry myself. I no. was never extravagant that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had, you know, I bought houses. I mean, I had a, you know, 8,000 square foot house with a racquetball court in it on two acres of land. Um, yeah. What Hel else? Helicopter. Oh, yeah, I had a helicopter, a Bell helicopter. Greatest tool ever. 
because the government, they f- couldn't follow us. You know, we'd be around collecting money. We'd be doing things. We drove them crazy. They couldn't follow Why us. Why can't they follow a helicopter? They didn't have a helicopter to follow us in. You know. <laughs> You've got a helicopter, but the government doesn't. Well, they, if they did, they didn't use it, you know. <laughs> it was funny. When I was on trial and the FBI was, uh, you know, I was on trial in New York and mm. I lived out in Long Island. From Long Island to New York is like driving around London. Terrible, right? Take you two and a half hours in the morning. So mm-hmm. I'm on trial every day in downtown Manhattan. The agents would live on Long Island and they would have to drive in every morning and then drive home in two hours of traffic. So uh, after the trial was over, I said, hey, guys, you know, jump into my helicopter. Come with me, you know? What do you got to drive? Two and a half hours? Come on, don't be a flunky. Get my helicopter. I'll be home in 17 minutes. You know, I used to tease them. I used to get so mad. I'm like, we can't, we don't have to discuss the case. You know, let's talk about it right now. Let's go. Yeah, I used to drive them crazy. They couldn't do it, but they wanted to. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, it wow. was great. What a life. Is it um, difficult to kind of fly under the radar when you're earning that kind of money? Nice pun. Good pun. I could not, you know, from the time, I mean, I had three, I went to trial four times by the time I was 23 years old. I had a bullseye on my back immediately because of my dad. So I was constantly under investigation, constantly in the eyes of the law enforcement. I mean, I was arrested 18 times. I was indicted seven times. Had two federal racketeering cases, one state racketeering case. What does indicted mean again? Sorry, charged with a oh okay, officially charged with a crime that right. had to defend. You know, all different crimes, or is it just the fuel again? It, it, grand larceny, um, and and ma- mainly racketeering cases where fraud involved, and yeah, had, you know, yeah. there was no murder cases against me, yeah. no murder charge, but yeah, uh, all the other stuff, right, loan sharking and all that. So you you eventually end up getting caught for this this um, petroleum yeah. scheme. How does that how does that house of cards come tumbling? My partner, that uh, Larry Irizzo, who by the way was six foot four, four hundred and fifty pounds. Wow, huge guy, almost bigger than me. Yeah, big. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but you know he wasn't a sloppy fat guy. He was big and solid, right? right. Um, he got in trouble on an unrelated case. Were you referring to sloppy fat guys, man? <laughs> He's like you, but he's a sloppy fat. Consider you fat. <laughs> go, go. I mean, you could lose a pound. Of food, <laughs> you're not too bad, though. I'm not going to ask. <laughs> I like you a lot. My daughter's a personal trainer, just in case. But anyway. <laughs> Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, you're talking anyway, about. Yeah. yeah. So he gets in trouble on an unrelated matter. Mm hmm. And he goes on trial and halfway through the trial, he comes to me and he says, I can't go through this. I can't go to jail. I'm six foot four. I weigh 450. I'll never even fit on the bed, which is this big, right? Yeah. So he skips town. In the middle of the trial, we had a compound in, uh, in uh, Panama that we had, right? There was no extradition between Panama and the United States. He says, I'm going to go live in Panama. I can help run the operation from there. Who gets on our plane, he goes. He's living in Panama. And they find out, because he was a fugitive now, but they couldn't extradite him. So what do they do? They go in there in the middle of the night and they kidnap him. You know who Noriega was? Remember that name? No. General Noriega. He used to run Panama. Okay. He got in trouble in a big drug case and eventually go to jail. But mm-hmm. uh, we were paying Ma- uh, Noriega off for some things that we were doing. So they let him come in in the middle of the night. They kidnap him. They bring him back to Florida. And they throw him in a cell. And as soon as he saw that cot, he said, I'll tell you everything you want to know about Michael. He just could not do time. So he became the informant. Oh, no. And he blew the whistle on, this is how we did it, and blah, 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 and the whole bit. So as a result of that, I took a plea right. rather than go to trial. And I got a 10-year prison sentence. 
$15 million in restitution, $5 million in forfeitures, because I had to forfeit my plane, the helicopter, the whole bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's how I went down. <clears throat> Fuck. What did that mean for your partner? Because obviously just becoming an informant helps the government, but that's not going to be good for the family. Well, what happened to him is he, uh, he made a deal with the government. He only did like two years in jail in a cushiony place. He went into the witness protection program. Oh. And then when I went in... He went out and he skipped town. He went under a new identity to another state, uh, Texas, but eventually got himself in trouble again. He went back into the gas business. We're stealing tax money again, but I wasn't there to work with him. So he got caught. And the irony in that is he had his whole family in the deal and his family testified against him. His wife, his son, his daughter all testified against him. They convicted him, and he got 20 years. He got wow. I got. Oh, wow. And ended up doing 17 on the 20. So he ratted on you? Yeah. If you sort of ratted on him back, how... You don't do that. You don't do that? No. What happens if you do that? Whacked? Well, yeah, we can't do that. You know, we can't, we can't even rat on a rat. Right. You, know, you can't do that. So I, I wasn't even a thought in my mind at but that point anyway. Then he has done that, and he's done 17 years of the 20. But then did he just get to live a normal life after that, or well, were the family out. still after it? He got out, and he, he died two years later. So his, his life went to hell after that, basically, yeah. yeah. Died of... Well, you got to understand, he and I were very close. I mean, <laughs> he, you know, his kids called me Uncle Michael. Oh. I mean, and, you know, we were very close. So it, it was sad because it was like, not only was he a business partner, it was a friendship. Mm. But I kind of knew that he was weak in that regard. I, I knew that, you know, if he ever got himself in real trouble, I'd, I probably would have trouble with him. But uh, it's part of the life. How did it make you feel first and foremost when you, when you realized he ratted on you? Were you sad? Were you angry? Were you confused? It was like... I, I know this is going to sound crazy, but it's, okay, here we go. You know, it's part of the life, you know. I got to deal with this now. Oh, no. Yeah. You just took it in your stride. Yeah. Ten years, nothing. We sorted it out. Well, you got to understand something. Ten years, when I negotiated for a ten-year plea, mm. at that time, guys were getting a hundred years. Yeah. When I went to trial and Rudy Giuliani indicted me on a big case, mm -hmm. if I would have lost that case, I would have gotten at least 50 years maybe a hundred years. That's the kind of time that we're giving people out of the racketeering statute. So to negotiate <clears throat> 10 years mm -hmm. was a plus. When did your wife find out about all this? Because you said whilst it was all happening, she didn't know. But then there was that point where she went, oh, okay, this is this is where all the money's going Well, from. when, you know, when I started getting arrested quite a bit, you know, when, when I that. <laughs> That'll do That'll it. That'll do yeah. it. That's, that's a giveaway, yeah. And then I'm on trial for several months, you know, so <laughs> things like that started to happen. Right. And she started to realize, because initially she thought, she knew my father had a reputation, mm -hmm. highly publicized. So she thought it was basically, basically my dad or more my dad. And I never, again, ne until today, I have never sat down with my wife and said, this is what I did. You know, never. You know, you just, you don't feel like you're supposed to talk about it so to your she, wife. She now, has she to knows listen to these podcasts to find out. Well, yeah, I mean, she's done... You Maybe know, not this one. <laughs> Bad Bible. She's, she's done a little... I mean, she wouldn't find out much from this. <laughs> she might enjoy this one and say, yeah, it's great. Um, wow. But, you know, she mm. obviously learned... And then I do eight years in prison. Mm. And um, let me tell you something. She's a tremendous woman because to be with her at such a young age and all of this coming down on her 
And then I do eight years in prison and she waits for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she had a tremendous mother who was very supportive of me. Our church was very supportive. And then we're married, this is 38 years. So, yeah. and you know, prison is not conducive to a good marriage. Right, yeah. Happening or a good family life. Mm-hmm. So we've been through a lot of challenges. Yeah. And for me to be where I am now is blessed. Yeah. The that's the word I could use. That's nice. You, you said um, a word I didn't quite understand, something to do with 15 million. You have to, is, uh, I'm reading between the lines. Did you have to pay the government 15 million? 14.7. Four- exactly. I rounded off at 15, but 14.7. Yeah. But you would have made a lot more than that. Is that, is yeah. that, so did you have, did you have that hidden away? Well, some of it, yeah. Where did you hide You're it? asking a lot of personal questions. <laughs> <laughs> Make it easy now. <laughs> You're starting to sound like the government. Yeah. Where, where is that exactly? Yeah, this guy thinks he's in my confidence. Room. He's asking all these questions. <laughs> yeah. I, I, let, me, let me ease your mind. It's the, the main question I get asked is, where's all your money? Yeah. So government, my crime was stated $2 billion. That was the indictment, $2 billion. And of course, the government exaggerated. It wasn't quite that much. Mm-hmm. But, uh, they were a little bit off. But anyway... Um, listen, you know, people think that I have money buried in banks in Costa Rica and here and, and the government investigated a lot of things. They took $33 million I had out of one account Mm. that they stole on me. Government stole it back. Imagine that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't get credit for it. They, they took the money and I didn't get credit. It disappeared. Somebody's very wealthy on my $33 million that I stole. (laughs) Supposed to be mine, but anyway. Yeah, they. Uh, that was a long time ago. But yeah, they um, they got quite a bit off mm. of me. But you know, listen, they claim I have money here and there, and I, if it's there, I I don't know if I'll ever get to use it. But yeah. we'll see what happens. Because that's what they say about Escobar, isn't it? As well, yeah. There's there's billions like buried well, listen, in, in Colombia. Escobar made a lot more money than I did. Right. Drug businesses. Forget it. What those cartels have. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I I would say gas is second to that. Right. A lot less risky, yeah. And you're not doing damage to people. We're Robin Hood, like I said. We put gas back, uh, money back in your pocket. Yeah, you put people in the frozen lake and then take them out. That's correct. <laughs> I was always that kind of you know, good spirited guy. <laughs> Is but, it, uh, we, we mentioned at the top of the show that Forbes once described you as the 18th fortune. Well- Fortune magazine. Fortune magazine. I stand corrected. Described you as the 18th wealthiest mobster in the world. Agree? Disagree? That was a ridiculous chart that they had. How do they calculate that? They don't. It was just, they made it up. You know, um, I mean, they didn't look at my tax returns or anything like that. Mm. But, you know, they hear from the government that this guy stole billions of dollars. So they, they put it as that. Look, I would say this, like I said, I don't think there was any bigger money-making scheme uh, since the days of prohibition than there was in the gas business. It's just a fact. Right. You know, and it was easier than prohibition. I mean, believe it or not, it was easier. But um, so I I think it's right to say that I was pretty well off as far as people earning in that life. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, how do they make a chart and a list like that? It was silly. Did did you notice? Did you look at the list and see the names above yours? I I knew just about everybody on the list. I was the youngest guy on the list. But um, I, I, you know what's fascinating, what's even more telling about that list? That was written in 1986. It was a huge article in Fortune. I mean, they, it was half the magazine. They featured six of us. I was one of the six. And there was 50 on the chart. 
Well, out of the 50, some 30 years later, 48 of them are dead. Wow. Number 49 is doing life in prison. I'm the only one alive and free out of that 50. Wow. That's more telling than the silly list that they put together. Yeah. Fucking hell. And, and I heard you say on, a, on another podcast that when you became a made man, that you, that was with, you were sworn in with like five other men? And, five other men. And they're all gone. And five of them were murdered. Because we had a war in our family, and 13 guys got killed, five of them. And uh, 18 guys became informants, mm. and 63 guys went to jail. And fortunately, or unfortunately, I think it was fortunately, mm -hmm. I was in jail in solitary confinement for 29 months and seven days throughout the war. The feds kept me in lockdown because they were very upset with me because I wasn't cooperating with them. Yeah. And so they kept me in solitary throughout that time. Did what, you what because what because you were a danger to others or others were a danger to you? Well, they used that excuse. Yeah, but really it was because I, I you just weren't walk. cooperating. Yeah, and they were they were trying to break me and get even with me and do all that stuff. Yeah, that's what they do. Did you feel like you were in danger during this war? Not during the war because you know it was a power struggle within our family. You know, one guy was boss and was in prison. He was my boss, and another guy felt that he wanted to take his place. So there was a war. Had I been home, I would have been involved in it, no doubt. Um, but I was in prison. But I wasn't concerned about that. Although, if somebody would have perceived that I was on one side or the other and there was a rival in there, you know, we would have went out of each other, maybe. Who knows? But uh, it didn't happen. But, um, you know, look, when I walked away, I had to be concerned because my boss was very upset with me, contract on my life, yeah. my father was very upset with me. You know, he didn't know what I was going to do. Everybody, when you walk away, everybody thinks you're going to become a witness. And the feds tried to feed that mm. because they were putting my name out there as a witness on some of the trials that were going up. Right. I never showed up. I never got there. So when you say you walk away, you, you mean you're walking away from the, the mob, like yeah. from the mafia and yeah. stuff like I, that. I, I didn't want to hurt anybody. I just don't want to be involved anymore. Yeah. What made so, you want to walk away? Just My wife. Because I said, listen, you know, I'm in love with this young girl. Am I going to marry her and go to prison? Because eventually that's what's going to happen. They're never going to leave me alone. Yeah. I had too much of a bullseye on my back. Yeah. Never leave me alone. Um, and I, I, I've said this all the time. The mafia life, Cosa Nostra, they're evil lifestyles. And I want to be clear. I'm not calling the guys evil. I was one of them. Mm -hmm. A lot of good guys. Why do, why do good people do bad things? It happens all the time, right? I mean, mm. a little more so when you're part of the mafia. But there were a lot of good guys in that life. At least I felt that way. I had a lot of friends. Mm. But the life is evil because I don't know any family of any member of that life that hasn't been totally destroyed, including right. my own. And not my wife and kids. My mother, father, brothers and sisters. Sister dies of an overdose of drugs, 27 years old. My brother, 25 years a drug addict. I had all to do to keep him alive because all the stuff he got himself involved in. You know, my younger sister, 41, dies. She was never mentally stable. My mother, 33 years without a husband. You know, her relationship with my dad grew ugly because she blamed him for everything that went wrong, rightfully so. Yeah. Because it was all, I attributed all to my father's membership in that life. No doubt. You're not home. You're not taking care of your, your stuff. Your family's going crazy. You're on trial. You're in jail. It's tough. Very tough. So when I fell in love with her, I said, am I going to do this to her? Why? Yeah. You know, she's a young girl. I, I couldn't do that. 
Oh, I said, I got to make a choice. It's either her or the life, and I chose her. I've read that you was you, you were on your way to becoming a doctor or you're in medicine. Eventually, I mean, originally, yes. Did you ever truly want to be in that mob life? Honestly, no. It wasn't, I didn't aspire. Everybody that I know that's part of that life, this was their dream. Mm. I mean, you talk about, you, you know who Sammy Gravano is, Sammy the Bull? You yeah, ever hear that yeah, name? Okay. Yeah. He'll tell you, from the time I was a kid, it's all I ever wanted. I saw these guys on the street. I wanted to be like them. They had the money, the car, the power. I wanted that. Henry Hill and Goodfellas, all I ever wanted to be was a gangster. How does the movie open up? Most of the people in that life, that's all they ever wanted to be. That was not what I wanted to be. You know, mm -hmm. I had no, because my father would talk me opposite of that. You don't need this, son. you got a head on your shoulders. Be a professional. Be the first professional in the family. Oh, your dad's saying this Oh, yeah. You. He wanted me to be a doctor. Oh, he wow. said, Mike, the money is really legit. He would tell me that. Even though he didn't practice that, that's what he wanted for me. Right. So I never had, and I saw my dad, look, Copacabana, you know, who you, your young guys, we heard of the Copa, most mm -hmm. famous nightclub in, in the world mm -hmm. at that time. I met everybody there. Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Paul Anka, you name it, everybody. Because my dad... They loved him there. I'd walk in. Do you see? Do you see Goodfellas? Henry Hill walks in through the kitchen. Mm. You remember that? Mm -hmm. He never walked in the kitchen. Henry Hill, forget about it. <laughs> no, he wasn't. He didn't have that kind of juice. But my father, <laughs> yeah, my yeah. father, absolutely. You know, mm. we were ringside table, right in front. People come over all the time. So I, I, I saw what the life could do. Yeah. But I looked at that more as that's who my father was. Mm. He was just that respected. He carried himself that way. Yeah. So it wasn't the life that I was looking at. It was my dad I was looking at. Right. But I said, I don't have to be in a life to be like my dad. I just have to be like my dad. Right. You know? Yeah. It, so, something that strikes me about you, Michael, is you're so honest. You're so open. You're so intelligent as well and articulate when you talk about this. Is that a common trait with people that are in mob life? Would you say mobsters have to have have to be kind of smart, or are well, you an exception to the rule? I, I don't want to say I'm an exception. There were guys in that life that were very smart. The guys that succeeded in business and in that life. Now, the guys that succeeded in that life, maybe not that smart because they were just tough guys and they fought their way to the top. But there were a lot of guys there that had they not been in that life and they went legit, they would be very successful. No question. But I will say this. We had, a, we had 115 guys in our family, made guys, guys that took the oath. Out of the 115, 20 of us were earners. The other 95, you know, no-show job, got a gambling operation, you know, a little numbers game, something to try to scrape by and, and make a living. They weren't that bright in that regard. They didn't know how to use the life to benefit them in business. But there were the exception, and mm. we were the guys that supported the family. You mentioned um, Goodfellas a little yeah. while ago. Your name's mentioned in that. Is that yeah. correct? They have a character, Michael Francis, yeah. They threw me in there, by the way. That was a different family, right? Yeah. I, I had nothing, but I knew Henry Hill well. Mm. I knew Jimmy Burke well. And the writer, Nick, Nick Pileggi, was a friend of mine. So I didn't know he put me in there. My wife and I were in a movie, like, Michael Francis, what the heck? You know, I had no idea. <laughs> that must have been so weird. Yeah, I said, what the heck, right? So I called Nick up afterwards. You know, it was right after I came out of prison. I said, Nick, 
Why did you throw me in there? I wasn't part of that crew. He says, yeah, but you have name value. You knew said, uh, Jimmy well. You knew. And so we threw you in there. And I said, well, at least you could have got them to say my name correctly because mm-hmm. they say Franchise or whatever they say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they didn't, I didn't say it as well as I did in the interview. No, you, you were right on, man. You were right on. You could be in America. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a couple of tough questions for you. Sure. Have you ever had somebody whacked? Always the number one question. Right. And of course, I'm not going to answer that. No. <laughs> no. The only the only thing I want to I want to say, mm. and the way I answer it every time, mm-hmm. because look, I didn't cooperate with the government. I have no immunity for any, anything. You know, um, it's a violent life at times. Mm-hmm. You're part of the life. You're part of the violence. There's no escape. And if anybody tells you differently, they're either lying to you or they're not. They weren't a made guy. Period. You can't escape that kind of thing. And, you know, look, I can answer like this. In our country, our laws, if you kill somebody and I know you did it, right, and I'm part of the conspiracy, I can go down as well as you. Right. You know? Yeah. So as part of that life, if I know people kill people, I can technically be charged with murder. Right. Conspiracy to murder. So I'm part of a life where people get killed. And you and, and you saw death from a young age, did you? I, I saw a lot of death, and, and it's horrible. I saw a lot of death in that life. A lot of friends of mine that uh, that unfortunately met with their, you know, an un, in, some, in some cases an unfair death, I believe, because that mm. life is political at times, and it's... I always say this, and, and I re, if, if you're a made man in that life, and you die of old age, and you die free, you've really accomplished something. Wow. It's a tough life to navigate. Is that a weird thing for you then when you look at this fortune list and 48 out of 50 have died, you've got the five people who swore in with you all died. Is that weird for you to look at all these people and think, I'm still here? Is there ever a worry still now? I'm 72 years old. So what do I have to worry about at this point? You know, I mean, look, the only thing I worry about, I don't worry about it, but I think about it. You know, I'm a public figure now. Yeah. And I'm a guy that somebody can make a name out of. I mean, you got a lot of lunatics. I don't know how it is in here, but, mm. you know, United States, you got people who come up and shoot somebody just to make yeah. a name for themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, yeah. I do book signing or this, that. Who knows, you know? Yeah. I mean, we have security, obviously, and we screen people, but you never know. So I'm in the same situation as anybody else that's high profile. Mm. That's, that's I th- it. I think you're the first guest we've ever had on the show that's brought security with them. Yeah. Don't, don't get out of line. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think we would just with you. <laughs> We're worried enough. And believe me, he's packing too. Be careful. No, I'm, I'm okay. So, like, with that, like, as, as you said, you're a public speaker and do book signings, you've done a book, you talk about this so openly. Is there, have you ever had any comeback from the fact that you're speaking so openly about it mm. well, from know, the mafia? You gentlemen know this. Um, social media has exposed the lunacy in the world. Yeah. You know that. Yeah, yeah, Some yeah. of the comments. I mean, I get threatened all the time. Right. You know, and when I get a threat from somebody online, I say, okay, now that you threaten me, understand that I know the I, I know everything behind, I know where you live, I know everything else. I says, if you're going to threaten me, don't do it online, you know, do it in another way. And then you never hear from them again, you know, so that's, you get that all the time, <laughs> yeah. you, you know. Um, but what was the question? Do I worry about it's, it? It's, it's more so, I think it's like, because you were part of this lifestyle and you've never snitched on anyone. No, at all, I don't put life. people in trouble. No. And I don't talk bad about people. Right, so. Because I don't, that's just not what I choose to do. I'm not going to make a name for myself by bad-mouthing other people. I yeah. think that's 
that's demeaning. Yeah. And I, I, I don't have anything bad to say about people, you know, so, so nobody worries about me mm. now uh, on the street. Yeah. You know, you shouldn't be talking. He's this, he's a snitch. He's this and that, but that's just general because I'm on YouTube and I talk about the life. Yeah. You know, but, but listen, I am going to say something now. When I go on tour, there's going to be some things that I have never spoken about that I'm going to speak about on this tour because I think it's appropriate at this point in time. And the reason I choose to do that here is because people have been so gracious to me. Yeah, I, I don't know if you know that. I have a big audience here in the UK. We walk down the street. People run out of the pubs and grab me. Michael Francis, take a photo. Come in, have an ale with me. I've never seen that anywhere else. I go into a taxi. Michael Francis, you don't have to pay me. Give me an autographed copy of your book. Oh, wow. And people have been so nice. Mm. Unlike you guys, people have been... <laughs> <laughs> No, no. Shot they, don't ask the tough, they don't ask the tough questions. No. People have been really great, very mm. respectful, and that's why I chose to come back here for this mm. tour. But um, I, I have a lot of things to say. You know, it's, 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 this is an amazing thing to me, too. We open it up for a Q&A, mm -hmm. and you would think that all the questions are about the mob, mm. right? They're not. How did your wife cope with this? How did your children cope with this? How did you get you know, your relationship with your kids, you know, blossom again. And how did you deal with, uh, with solitary? For, they ask questions that in a way can relate to themselves, that maybe they're going through a challenge or something. Mm. And I find that really fascinating and, 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 and rewarding because I'd rather get those questions than all the mob stuff, you know? Yeah. But, and then I'll get the movies and stuff like that, which is great, you know, which mm. is the best movie and the best actor and all that. But, but um, I think people, um, they get educated about that life. They hear the truth about it. And then it's, it's more of a, of a life experience for them also. What's a question that people rarely ask you that you would like to talk about more? Rarely? Well, I, I would love to talk. I, I, I like when I get asked uh, faith-based questions mm -hmm. because I don't think I'd be alive and free if God didn't have a different plan and a purpose for my life. And that's become very evident to have, me. Have you, have you always been a religious man? Or No. I grew up Catholic. Um, I went to Catholic school. I was an altar boy the whole bit. But Catholicism to me was like a subject in school. It was, it was a ritual. I had to do it. And I'm not blaming Catholics. I love Catholicism. And, uh, but as a, 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 as a Christian... I found out it's more about a relationship with God than it is about legalistic mm. laws, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's become part of who I am. Mm -hmm. So I like to share it because I think everybody needs God in their life. And I've had a tremendous, I can say this, guys, and, and I don't say this egotistically or anything else, but, you know, I've spoken at over 2,000 ministry situations over the last 25 years and I always, in a way, give my testimony, and people have been very positively impacted by that. And that's rewarding for me, because I, I do believe that to those, of us, to those of us that have been given much, much is expected in return. And I've been given my life, my freedom, a wife that I adore, children that I love, and a life. Mm. And so you're required to give back, just as a human being. Yeah. So... Um, you know, I like when people ask me questions that really pertain to something real. I've got a question about religion, and I don't want it to be a bit too on the nose. But how does how 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 does that mix with a life of crime? Because religion teaches good, doesn't it? And to do yeah. everything by the book. So how can those two coexist? 
Well, they really can't. You can't be a a person of faith and remain in a pattern of criminal activity. Right. You can't. It, you know, there are the opposites. Mm -hmm. uh, but at hopefully at one point your faith wins out and you realize, hey, this is bad stuff. Can't do it. So when, when did the faith win for you? Was this prison? Or? It was during, during my time in solitary when I really developed this relationship and knowledge of my faith. Because, you know, for me, I'm a, I'm a tough guy to convince of something. Mm -hmm. You have to show me evidence. I mean, I've been to trial five times. I've been to, you know, three of my dad's trials. Mm -hmm. I've been more parole hearings than you could imagine. I've mm. been in front of the Supreme Court on constitutional issues in my dad's case. Evidence to me is everything. Show me the proof. So my faith is based upon what I believe is very solid evidence. So... Um, that developed for me while I was in prison because I had a chance, I had nothing but time on my hands to really do the research. And not only did I read my Bible a hundred times, mm. uh, but my wife sent me in books on every faith. Mm. I wanted to read on every faith. I didn't want to kid myself. I want to say, oh, great. You know, I'll be a Christian. Everything will be wonderful. No, is this real? I may die in this cell. Mm. Where am I going afterwards? So, I mean, I really studied and I came out of there believing um, in Christianity and in the last 25 years, it's only been solidified for me. What, what solidified it? What has been the proof for you? Well, I mean, we, this could be a long discussion. You know, I well, think I'm, I'm happy to learn because I'm not a religious man. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't believe in God. So I'm, I'm happy to learn other people's points. Well, that, that's view. great. And I want you to understand, I'm not religious either. I'm not a ritualistic religious guy. I go to church on Sunday, not because I'm required to, because I need the nutrition of church. I need to hear a good message. I need to worship God because he's entitled to that. I need to be around people that uh, also believe in the Lord. I go to church not because I'm told to go to church or I'm required to. I'm not. Mm. God doesn't require you to go to church in, in our faith, mm. but you need to develop that relationship. So for me, it was all about finding the evidence to prove that the Bible was a reliable source of information about my God. And the evidence is overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And I tell anybody, don't just say I believe in God. You can't love a God you don't know. You can't trust somebody you don't know. You got to find out if it's really true. So I do a lot of men's groups. I get down with the men because I'd love being around men and, and it was my life, right? Mm. And I tell them, don't take my word for it. You have to believe and you have to believe by looking at the evidence. And if you can refute the evidence, good for you. But I guarantee if you open your mind and heart, you won't. And I always say, I want to tell you this, I want to scare you, but according to my faith, and I think reality, I think my faith is real, there is a heaven and there is a hell. We, there is an eternity. You're going to one place or another. And being in solitary confinement for 29 months and seven days, I developed a healthy fear of hell. Because I said, man... If this is what hell is like, separated from the people I love, in a box, having to ask somebody to give me food and water and nothing, but a million times worse, I don't want any part of this. So it motivated me even further. Because when you think your reality is, this is it for me, I got nothing left, and after this, I'm, I'm dead, I want to know if there really is an eternity or if I'm wasting my time. So it motivated me to learn even more. Mm. And I'm convinced beyond any doubt, you know, in our legal system, it's beyond a reasonable doubt. You have to prove somebody's guilt. Mm. Um, 
I'm convinced beyond any doubt that there is a heaven and a hell based upon my research, the evidence I find to, uh, to show that Scripture is, in fact, God's Word, true and reliable. What's heaven to you? What do you believe heaven to be? I believe heaven is a real place, yeah. And it's a place where there'll be no more sickness, no more death. Everybody will live a perfect life in, in happiness and be reunited with the people that we love that also went to heaven. So um, it's a real place. It's mm. not... Listen, if you're a surgeon, there's so many books that I can send you yeah. that are reliable about heaven. Mm -hmm. And you should read it. I, I have a theory, and that's all it is, because as I say, not a religious person, but isn't... Why isn't life as we know it now, what we're experiencing now, why isn't that heaven? Because so few people get to experience this. The chances of us existing are so minute and we're so lucky to be here and we have free will and we're lucky to be born in countries that offer us mm -hmm. those opportunities and stuff like that. So why isn't why isn't this considered heaven? Why has there got to be something else? And I'm not asking that to be disrespectful. No, 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 no. Listen, there's never disrespect. Yeah. You know, I love when people challenge me and, mm -hmm. oh, there's no God. And I love that. Mm -hmm. you know, come on, let's go. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, because this is earth mm -hmm. and then there is a heaven. This is how it's laid out. But, you know, there's the age old thing. Why do, if there's a loving and, and wonderful God, how yeah. could people suffer like they do? Yeah. Why is there sin? Why is there wars? Why is there disease? Why is everything? Because he's also a just God. And according to scripture, um, life started in the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve were there and Eve sinned. Uh, Adam sinned, I'm mm -hmm. sorry, mm -hmm. but as a result of what Eve told him, uh, told him to do mm -hmm. and sin and agony came into the world. And that's a just God. But God gave us a way out. His way out was believing in his son. And again, we can go through this um, all the way through. Um, but that's it. He's also a just God who gave us a free will, who wants to be recognized as God, mm -hmm. who wants to have us believe in his son. And if you do that, the reward is heaven for all of eternity how how does that faith work as as jack said like and, and you said religion doesn't really mix well with the mob life no how does heaven and hell mix well with a life of sin because obviously previously you would have sinned you obviously won't was now that you follow it so how, how does that is that just repenting to know that you can go to heaven or is is there a chance that it could still be the other way obviously well mm. let's put it this way um you can't pull a scam on god no you can't just, oh i believe in you god and you're going to heaven no it doesn't work that way you know you have to first accept jesus christ who is god's son mm -hmm. okay accept him and believe in him and then you, ha you can't remain in a pattern of sin. No. I mean, you have to really show that if you believe in Jesus, then your life is going to change because he's your model. You emulate him. Mm. And you have, you know, look, I, I can only say this. When I came to Jesus, when I came to Christ, I challenged him. I said, God, come on. I believed and trusted in my father. Okay, and look where it got me. It got me in solitary, maybe for the rest of my life, because the feds told me you will never see the light of day again. They were, they said you're going to die in prison. They were that mad at me. Um, I said I trusted my father, who I trusted more than anybody, and look where it got me. I said I took a blood oath. I surrendered my life to Cosa Nostra. I gave it all up, and look where it got me. And now I'm supposed to do it again. You're God. You're going to save me. You're going to. No, I don't believe that. Show me. 
And that's when I started doing my search. He didn't say, oh, how dare you say that to me? He said, good, I'll show you. And that's when I started doing my search. So what happened to me, guys, you don't change, you don't over say, okay, I'm going to be a good person. You know, when you have a relationship with God, he changes you from the inside out. My way of thinking, you know, I hated law enforcement. Now I understand they were the good guys. We were the bad guys. At first, I was a good guy. You were the bad guy. You framed my father. No, my father was a criminal, okay? Yeah. You may not have used the right methods to get him, mm. but he was a criminal, and he deserved to be in prison at some time, the same way I did. So you start to understand, wait a minute, you know, I'm thinking wrong the last time. So now, I'm, I'm going to say this right now. My wife will get upset with me. Right now, I have no moral issue whatsoever in stealing tax money from the government. None. <laughs> No moral issue. I don't right. even think it's sinful right. because they're bad people. I can do better with the money than they can. I would spread it around. They're thieves and they rob us, right? But I won't do it because I'm not going to put my wife in jeopardy by going to prison. I'm not going to break the law. I'm not going to do anything like that because I have, a, I have a different sense of balance now in my life. Before, what the heck with them? You know, mm. I don't care. I'll pay my taxes now because I don't want to go to jail. Yeah. I hate paying taxes yeah, like yeah. anybody else. Especially today. Yeah, they're stealing yeah. the money. Our, our tax <laughs> due date is today, today. in England. Yeah. Oh, so well, we, we got be... another month or two. No, we got April is no, our tax. It's not, not been a good week. But that, that, lead, that leads me on to a few of my sort of parting questions. Like having seen the things you've seen and you've kind of, you've, you've kind of answered it for me, but I'm going to ask anyway. Having seen the things you've seen and lived the life you've lived, do you, do you trust the government? Hell no. <laughs> right, yeah, I thought he was going to say that. Is that any ele yeah, element of it? Is that any it? element of it, yeah. Listen, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Thomas Jefferson once said this, so true. He said, there's never been a democracy that hasn't destroyed itself in time. Mm. Sometimes too much freedom is no good. Too much power is no good because you never want to give it up. You never want to let it go. And... I see what's happening. I wrote a book called Mafia Democracy because my government right now is acting more like the mob than we did. Very Machiavellian. Let me, let me tell you, this is, you know who Machiavelli was, right? I you don't know. know. He was a, uh, an Italian statesman, okay, very famous, who wrote a book, a treatise actually. Um, it was called The Prince. And in that book, he advised the prince how to maintain control of his kingdom. Right. And here's the, here's the thing I'm going to lay out. He told the prince this. He said, you can do anything you need to do to maintain control of your kingdom. You can lie. You can steal. You can cheat. You could even murder. Anything is on the table to maintain control. However, to the outside world, you must always appear to be upright, honest, and have integrity. That's our government. They lie daily on camera. I couldn't do that. They don't mind. They lie, they steal our money, and throw it into their pet projects and make themselves rich. This is why I'm on Rumble, because I could talk like this now. You can't do it on YouTube. They shut you down. Right. They lie, they steal, they kill. I don't know. They send some people off to war that shouldn't be doing it for their own political purposes. They do everything underhanded. Now, again, I never want to paint one canvas with the same brush. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying everybody is bad. It's like anything else in life. Yeah. But absolute power corrupts absolutely. They don't want to let power go. And that's the problem. Because money and power are tremendous aphrodisiacs. I've learned that in my former life. Okay? And it's the same in government. Mm. 
And unfortunately, you know, in the United States, we're a constitutional republic. We still have a right to try to right things. You know, another problem we have is the media. When the media doesn't report the news, but they 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 run cover for one political tell party you, or another. Tell you how to fail. And, yeah. yeah, because then you'd never know the truth. Yeah. The masses are not getting the truth, so you don't know. And that's the that's why communism, what happened? They control the media. Mm-hmm. It's all propaganda. They only you only hear what they want you to hear. Well, that's happening in the United States to a great degree. And people that haven't been on the street and haven't had experience like this don't see it. You can't blame some of these people because they don't know. Mm. You know? And but, I guess the the life you've lived, you're able to say the answer to this. Um, can politicians be bought? Absolutely. When we were on the street, I always say this, people go, really? Um, we were, the Democrats were easy to corrupt. They would take it. The Republicans wouldn't. They were the law and order people. They wanted, you know, jail time and strict. So we stayed away from them. Democrats, no problem. You work with them. Same today. I was going to say, do you think it could still happen now? Do you think there's politicians Absolutely. still? They're all on the take. What do you think lobbying is all about in our country? You know, they lobby, you know, here, you want to, you don't want to, you want to pay less taxes. You're going to move into a a city, you're going to buy a building, but you want government to to, to grant you a tax break. You send a lobbyist in, right, to talk to the government. Well, they don't do it for nothing, okay? They promise you something or they give you something. It's the same thing. You're buying politicians. They made it legal by lobbying, but it's corruption because they do it for their own benefit, not necessarily for the people. Mm. So it's it's legalized corruption now. You got to give them credit. They figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, are there are there modern day mobsters? Is it still happening? Is it? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It'll never look. As long as there's life, there'll be crime, and there'll be mobsters, and there'll be absolutely. What do you think the modern mobsters think of you coming on podcasts and doing public speaking? I think it's twofold. They probably hate what I'm doing. Many of them. Mm. Uh, but Except I think for this one. They'll love this one. Yeah? Yeah, yeah big okay. fans, big fans. They'll love this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, listen, understanding this, because people have reached out with me, there's a lot of guys that understand the difficulty in that life and wish that they could get beyond it and maybe have a life like, like I have. And I, I don't say that with any amount of uh, pride or anything like that. I, I'm just, I look, I'm very thankful and very blessed for where I am at this point in my life, you know, and... Mm. and uh, you know, look, you're not supposed to talk the way I do, but I, I will say this too. The life has been exposed, not by people like me, but by surveillance tapes. I mean, John Gotti had 2,000 hours of tapes on him. There's nothing more you need to know about the life. And I'm not blaming Gotti. He didn't know it. These were, he thought he was in the privacy of his own place. And this, he's not the only one. A lot of guys, you know, they talked about things that are all over tapes and the government knows everything. There's nothing they don't know. Is it truly possible to leave the mobster life behind? I did. Yeah. I think it's more possible today than ever. Do you think there'll be a lot of people currently stuck in that life that want to get out and they just can't? I I do believe that. Yes, I do. Anybody with half a brain has to realize this is the dead end street and... 
you know, maybe they're not as capable as somebody else to try to make the break. But I think a lot of guys would rather say, you know what, I've been through this. I wish I can have the other way Mm. and just be comfortable in my life, earn a decent living, have a family. Yeah, I think so. Michael, you're an absolute fascinating guy, and it's been an honour to spend an hour and a half with you today. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We've learned we've learned a lot today. Well, I want to tell you, you guys have been. This has been a a wonderful break from the normal stuff that I do. <laughs> no, I really mean that. You guys were mm. great, and thank uh, you. I'm I'm happy that you had me on. Thank you. And um, we want to come and see you in Bristol. You're my guest. Oh, I'd love How's to. That? We'll go to it. We do, let's do it. So where, where can other people get tickets? Uh, Eventbrite. Eventbrite? Yeah, Eventbrite. Yep. You can go on and get tickets. Bristol, Manchester. There's still some tickets mm-hmm. uh, being sold. Um, and we're doing 11 to 12 dates all together. But you guys, not only are my guests, you're going to get sitting right up front oh let's do it thank we're going, you so we're much. Going. i'll tell you what we'll do spotify listeners and if if you've watched the clips on youtube the link for the tickets is in the description so you can click there and hopefully stevie and i will be at the bristol show as well so we might bump into a few of you at some point uh michael two final questions first one is are you afraid of death because we don't ask anyone that question because i could i understand it's quite personal but you've been around it your life so does that mean you're less afraid of it does it mean you're more afraid of it I I don't fear death because I don't know where I'm going. Mm-hmm. I believe I'm going to heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, I fear leaving my family. Right. Because mm-hmm. for a time I'm going to be without them. Even though heaven is what it is, from the moment you get there, it's bliss. So, And you know your family's going to meet you there later, you know, because <laughs> my family were all Christians. My mm-hmm. wife is very devout. Um, I don't fear death in that way as far as the unknown. Where am I going? What's going to happen to me? No, mm-hmm. I just don't want to leave you. I'm not ready. Right. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not ready to leave, but I'm ready spiritually to go if I had to. What a great answer. And this has been Jack Mates Happy Hour podcast with me, Jack Mate, Stevie White, and the brilliant Michael Francis. Michael, what's the meaning of life? For me, my wife, my children, my God and doing good for people, leaving a legacy behind where people say it wasn't a bad guy. Superb. Can I tell you my favorite bit of this whole podcast? Go on. When you said, you can't rat on a rat. (laughs) (laughs) See you in a few days, though. (laughs) Cheers, guys. Thank you. That was brilliant. No, that was brilliant. Thank you so much. You guys are great. Thank you. I had to hold it in. (laughs) This is my favorite one. Oh, thank you. How are you going to top this? Jack makes happy hour. This episode is brought to you by Maybelline New York. Get ready to bring the heat with Maybelline's newest lip plumping gloss, Lifter Plump. Fair warning though, it's hot. Like, literally. It's formulated with chili peppers to bring a heated sensation and an instant plumping effect that lasts. Available in eight sizzling shades like Blush Blaze, Hot Honey, and more. Buy Lifter Plump now on Amazon and use the code 10PLUMP to get 10% off for a limited time. Tap the banner to learn more.